This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to From Disaster to Dream Home, the podcast that takes you inside the home building and rebuilding process. When interior designer Jana Rosenblatt had an 80-foot tree fall on her house, she saw the opportunity to create the customized home of her dreams. From Disaster to Dream Home provides you with the information and resources Jana wished she had during her rebuilding process. Now she's sharing with you the expertise of leading architects and home builders and the newest products and materials on the market. Here's your host, Jana Rosenblatt. Welcome back, builders and remodelers, to another episode of From Disaster to Dream Home. Recently, we spoke to our guest, Don McMaster of McMaster and Hill Construction about the foundation of our house. It is our goal to take you through the process of building or rebuilding a new home from the ground up in one year. After the months or years of planning that led up to a set of stamped plans by your city, the preparation and pouring of the foundation is the first big step in the building process. You can hear all about it from McMaster and Hill in our episode, All About Foundations by logging into from disastertodreamhome.com. To see McMaster and Hill's construction projects and to contact them, go to www.mcmasterhill.com. This week, Dawn, and Dawn is back to talk to us about the framing process. The framing process is where the house begins to take on form. It is often the first time the new homeowner can begin to understand the plans. That can be the first question. Dawn, as the house begins to take shape, what kind of reactions do you get from clients, clients uh, from the digging to the end of the framing stage? Yeah, I would say uh, first thing they're probably surprised out is the uh, space, because this is the first time they're actually going to see if you can kind of, even though you can see through the studs, you have a, a sense of space around you. And so this is the first time that, you know, uh, the plans have kind of come to life for them. So they can, even if we just have the walls up, uh, they kind of get an idea of how big a room's going to be. Uh, and the feel for it and, that, and that, you know the bedrooms the living room you know all that kind of stuff so uh and i'd say probably 50 percent of the people have a somewhat of an idea and 50 percent just had no idea really that this room was either so big or so uh -huh. small they'll uh -huh. say I, I looked at it at the plan and you know my master bedroom is huge or my master bedroom is really small or you know so it's the first time they can actually get a feel because they have something around them they could walk into so and so are they usually seem surprised in a good way or or can there be some you know hairy moments uh usually it's a positive uh, uh -huh. reaction and uh, we do look at things and then say you know i try to explain to them what it is and we kind of if we want to change something right then before we get too many pieces of wood up yeah you know we'll say here's where you know here's where your sink's going to go here's where you know your clothes are and as we look at it, when we lay it out in our previous conversation, we would snap the lines. If I'm looking at something that doesn't look right, I'll change that. Uh, and now I'll go over that with them and uh -huh. say this didn't, you know, looks looks fine on the plan, but when you're out here feeling it, it doesn't look right. So, uh -huh. you know, we might move a wall, you know, a little bit this way or the other kind of depends on windows and that kind of stuff. So mm -hmm. that's the sure. first time they actually start to feel and when you okay. talk about snapping a line, um, that's actually a chalk line on the foundation. Yes. So it's yeah, everyone's probably familiar with that. The little box has chalk in it, the string, mm -hmm. you pull the string out, you snap it on the and that, you know, gets a straight line and that gets you where you measured out where that wall is going to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you actually sometimes do some editing. You actually say, you know what, this really needs to be six inches this way. Yeah, and you're what you're looking for is uh, the framing as far as how the framing goes together, you know, where the windows and doors are, mm -hmm. 
you know, because sometimes the measurements don't line up exactly with the framing material. So you have to sometimes move things, you know, an inch or two one way or the other. Sometimes it's, you know, it's maybe more than that. So yeah. And so what does it actually mean to frame a house? Well, I, uh, I think basically I, I would say it's the skeleton. You know, if you, if you think about a skeleton, you're going to, so what you're going to put together is the skeleton and then all the other subcontractors are going to come in after that and, uh, you know, put their parts on it. So if you're giving it uh, uh, the ability to hold all the other things that you want. So the framing would include, you know, the layout of doors, windows, framing walls, uh, putting the roof on, putting roof sheeting on. Uh, that type of stuff. So that if you were to drive down the street, you would say, aha, that looks like a house. <laughs> Every, and everybody would know that looks like a house, uh -huh. not, not, not something else. Yeah, that's always an encouraging moment, especially yeah. if your client has lost their home and they have been yeah. living, you know, in a rental property for way too long. Um, right. So is there a formula to where you begin? Is it always from the back to the front or is it depend on the actual design of the house? So we always start from the bottom up. Yeah, that's a really good idea. Good answer. <laughs> yeah, so it always starts with the snapping of the lines. Uh-huh. And once you snap the lines, you know, then you're then you're gonna put a, you know, your first your plate, which is a mud seal. You know, usually if someone were to see it, they're green. Uh-huh. Uh piece of lumber on the bottom, you know, it keeps the moisture from out. It also stops for you know bugs and rotting. Because that's the first wall makes a connection with the concrete. Right. So that's once those pieces are on, and then you're going to go to uh, two by four, two by six walls that you're going to build up. And then you're going to go to the top plates uh, of those. And then you'd either be going to, um, you know, ceiling joists, rafter joists, and or trusses, if you have trusses, and then plywood on top of that. So that's a, that's a real quick, uh, you know, that's your basic. You can get me a lot more complicated, but that's pretty much pretty. That's how it is. Mm -hmm. And and you know you walk on the, the day that you're going to start to um, lay those green boards. Um, are how do you know where to even start? Do you start? Um, you know, is there something in the plans that will tell you to start at the front door or? No, there's nothing that really tells you where you're going to start. Uh -huh. Typically, we would start with the outside walls. Right? Uh -huh, so that's a good uh -huh. question. Your question's good. We would start with the outside walls uh -huh. because we want to make sure the concrete guy has the same measurements that you have, right? Uh -huh. We want to make sure that, you know, we didn't miss it by an inch. Uh -huh. Let's let's say the form's pushed out an inch or, you know, wherever it is. So the plans you want to have your, uh, when you snap those lines, you're going to snap it according to where the plan is. Uh -huh. Even if the concrete's out a little bit, uh, you know, where you're trying to make sure the house is square. Yeah. Uh, and so the outside walls are the first things that you would probably snap. You want to make sure, let's say, if you think about it as a rectangle, you want to make sure everything's parallel. Front wall is parallel with the back wall. The wall to the left is parallel to the wall to the right. So when you start putting it all together with uh, plywood and stuff, everything, you're not, you're not cutting every little piece of plywood and every piece of drywall, and then you're going to have a goofy looking house. So yeah, you want to make sure everything's parallel and level as you come up. Yeah, I think that's always a good idea. Yeah. Um, so who are the framers? And I'll, I'll tell you why I ask, because they always <laughs> appear on site like a SWAT team led by either a curmudgeonly kind of guy or someone with a clear military background. They really know their trade, and I usually feel like a bug they would like to squish under their feet. Who yes. are these guys? Where do you find them? <laughs> I, uh, I love your description. That is exactly, I thought that was great. I think you, you <laughs> nailed it. So I started in the Carpenters Union almost 50 years ago. So uh, you, you pretty much nailed it. So the guy, you <laughs> had the curmudgeon guy that uh you know was the boss or the or the military guy or you know that guy uh, -huh. uh and then obviously to the the other end of that you we would get you know of course this is 50 years ago we we would get the hippie guy and oh, uh, I, I didn't i missed that you, you probably don't see those guys anymore yeah, yeah. uh 
but they, it was just kind of like, well, you guys just kind of lay it out and do it. But usually, uh, you know, when you're working, you know, big jobs, it has to, in order for everybody to make money, you have to be very well organized to do this. So part of it is you have to be organized and you can't mess it up because if you have to go back and do it again, you know, they're not going to pay you for that. Nobody pays you for that. So the, the better that you are getting it the first time, the more money that you make. And, you know, that's what the carpenters right, are looking at. Of course. Um, so, you know, I've, I learned over the years that these are the guys I learned the most from. And if yeah. I listen more than I talk, which is what they want as well, <laughs> yes. then, and, you know, then it's always going to be a really good relationship. But, you know, that is my only opportunity to push and pull things just a little bit. So I, I sometimes am in a situation to have to plead my case with someone who is 100 years older than me, no matter how old I get. They're still yeah. older, wiser, and meaner. Yes. So one of the one of the things that the carpenters, as opposed to let's say, other trades. Now other trades could be a specialist in what they do and be very good at it. Uh huh. Uh, generally, the carpenters have been working their particular trade to be really good for a longer you know period of time. Uh, just because there's so many different kinds of of uh, structures that they're working on you know a single story house a two-story house house on the side of the hill uh, you know a house that has trusses a house that you have to cut every individual board and you have to know the math to put it together uh, so those guys really have more experience i would say than all the other trades yeah even though someone could be an excellent electrician they would have no idea you know, yeah. how to frame a house for the most part. That's not what they learned. The carpenters really have to have somewhat of an idea of what everybody else does. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So as they're building it, they say, okay, we have to allow for this, for the electrician to do his thing, the heat and air guy to do his thing. We have to build this, you know, platform for the heat and air guy to do his. We have to know, you know, we have to build this for the uh, plumber can do his thing. And so... For the most part, the carpenters are the guys that uh, probably know more about the house than anything, any anybody, any other trade, even though the other trades are excellent at what they do, you know, putting this thing together so it's standing there looking like a house before the other guys get there. Uh, so that, that probably leads to the uh, carpenters acting like know-it-alls. <laughs> and and this mu they must be a licensed trade, right? I mean, there must be... Yeah, so generally there's uh, the general uh, contractors have a general contractor's license and usually framing would come underneath that. Uh-huh. So, um, so, you know, because they're responsible for really the structural integrity of the house. I mean, you right. really have to be, you really have to know yeah. what you're doing. Yeah, and the plans are very detailed. So you have to be able to read the plans to know how to put it together. You know, the plumber or the electric, uh, electrician Heat and air guy, you know, they might have a page or two that they have to be really good at. And but over time, they know what those are. Yeah. Uh, the carpenters, everything is a different deal. You know, how many nails it goes into it, how you yeah. lay it out. So you really have to know, uh, you know, how to read the plans and then how do you put it together? It's one thing to say, okay, I read the plans. Uh, how you put it together, there's a different deal then. Make sure that you do it in the right sequence. Yeah, they must be a combination of, of puzzle master and, you know, and Zen master. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, so it just takes time. I mean, you can't. Yeah, that's why you, they're you can't just, curmudgeonly. Yeah, you could probably teach, uh, uh, you know, and have a, a helper with some other trades and they yeah. could do that, you know, after a couple months, you know, maybe six months to a year, they would be, you know, a pretty good helper and maybe could uh -huh. do a couple of things on their own. But. A carpenter that only has 12 months in, you don't, you, you wouldn't let him start, go out there by himself. <laughs> yeah. So really the only way to learn that skill is to have done it for a very long time. Yes. Yeah, so somebody like myself and some of the other trades. So uh -huh. we had to go to, uh, we were in the carpenters union, uh -huh. you know, we would go to apprentice class. So some uh -huh. of us have gone to four years of classes but you were working at the same time and, yeah. and same with a lot of the other trades. So 
you were not only going to class, and I, and I don't think there's a lot of those guys, there's probably not of a lot of us left that uh-huh. that have uh, done that. Yeah. Um, it's probably, you know, aging out. Yeah. I'm not sure how many other trade schools there are that, that do that. I think they're still out there, but it's not the percentages it once was. Well, and you don't have to have gone through that education to be a general contractor. It's a different, it's a different test. Right. They want you to have, I think the state wants, uh, you know, uh-huh. four years experience, Yeah. you know, um, of being in charge and being a leader and having that four, you know, years of experience at that, you know, at that position. Mm-hmm. And the contractors board actually wants you to have a license. They want to be able to control everything. So yeah. They do want you to have a license. Well, it's not a bad thing to, you know, a license just demonstrates that you have a proficiency level that, you know, isn't a bad thing building houses. Um, In the two houses that we just completed, one has a traditional framed roof with uh, wood framing the pitch, the pitches, and then wood sheathing applied to the top. The other one was made from a maze of uh, pre-made wood trusses that were set into place like rows of little soldiers and then the sheeting was put on the top. Right. Uh, I'll post photos of both of those for our listeners to see, but how was the decision made in each of those roof plans? So there's one correction I can make for you. Both those houses, and I'm glad you didn't see that, uh, both those houses have trusses. So oh. the trusses can be very complex. Uh-huh. Uh, and so that's one thing when you have to have good carpenters to, and a trust company because it's, it can be very complex as to how you make them. Uh-huh. And then it is like you said earlier, it's a jigsaw puzzle, putting them together and some have to come up first before the others. And they have to be, uh, you know, one piece has to come up before another piece. So you have to know, you know, how that's all done. Uh, but going back to uh, the difference. So for the most part, a truss is made, uh, in fact, I'm gonna say 100% of the time offsite. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's going to be made offsite at a giant table. Uh-huh. Uh, and what they're trying to do is save money from time. Yeah. So they're not standing, you're not standing up three stories off the ground carrying a piece of lumber. Right. The so way you're doing is, uh, and I'll just call it a triangle. Let's call every truss a triangle. Uh-huh. So they're building these triangles on these big tables out of two by fours, sometimes a little bit of two by six, depending on what the span is. They're fairly, they're fairly light. Uh, and less expensive. Now, if you have to do a regular, what we call a conventional stacked roof, that is using two by six, two by eights, two by tens. Uh, and usually what you're doing there is trying to get a clear story, you know, something as, you know, some volume. But now those, and you might do a combination of trusses and, and some of those, but typically the trusses can almost do anything that you can do the conventional. It's just a lot more expensive and a lot more labor intensive to be carrying an individual piece of lumber mm-hmm. two to three stories off the ground mm-hmm. and putting it in place. So uh, the trusses not only cost less for the material, they're uh, a lot easier and quicker to put together. So, so the question, how do you decide that? Yeah. Uh, you you kind of go by the layout of the house. Could uh-huh. you do it with trusses? And if you think you could do it with trusses, then you go with the trusses. Uh-huh. Yeah. So whether there are fewer trusses with more space in between that then get supported with other additional lumber, or like in the craftsman house, it it was like it was a beautiful thing. It was like looking at the shell of a boat. Um, that yeah. I mean, it, it was just I I was I thought it was a shame to put the roof on. It was such an amazing sight with all the trusses lined up there. So, but essentially, so I, yeah, I totally get it that you're going to do, I'm sure it's actually really strong to be building it flat yeah. and then bringing them all, you know, and being able to then put them into place. Right. Yeah. So the trusses really, you know, they have the engineering to back up whatever they're putting on the roof. So the architect and the homeowner has to say, this is the kind of roof that we're going to put. And how, then we have to figure out how much is that weigh. Mm-hmm. And that, that tells you what kind of trust, you know, and the strength of the trust and how it's engineered uh, to put that together. Yeah. And so now I see why we couldn't, um, 
we couldn't add to the Craftsman House, we couldn't add any kind of skylight detail with that fake, you know, window detail is above the entry. Because right. it, it like how long, when is the trust work ordered? I mean, was that like, you know, months before or they can they start doing that? Not until, you know, the, the um, foundation is in. I mean, that stuff is off site. So when do they begin that work? So that's a good question. So the trusses are made once the architect lays out the floor plans, uh -huh. right? So if he just has if he just has a floor plan with walls, he, then he's going to have an elevation of what the house is going to look like, uh -huh. and he sends that to the trust company. Now, if he also puts in there, you know, uh, are we having windows up on the roof? Are we having skylights? Uh, Inside those trusses, are there going to be uh, one of the things that we always lay out for is the uh, furnace, because a lot of the furnaces now are in the attics, yeah, where they used to be in the garages. Yeah. So now they're up in the attic, and you have to have a space big enough for someone to get up there uh, to have the furnace in the attic, uh, to get up there and work on it, you know, enough space. Yeah. So they have to plan trusses that would, would do that. And if you do have... A, a light well or a, you know, a skylight. We want to know where those are located. So the trusses are made to accommodate that. Yeah, so the, how long have the trusses system of doing things been prevalent? And I ask that because, you know, I, I finished a portion of the attic in my house and I put in a stair that made it easy to get to a ladder. Yes. And I put things up there, but you yes. can't do that with the system of trusses that's in the craftsman home. No, no, you can't put anything over. up there because most of all that lumber is really two by fours. Yeah. And it's all it's all tied together. So think about, uh, you know, a triangle again and that bottom piece of the triangle. Uh, you can't, they, you know, you can't be putting weight on it because that starts to pull down all the other parts of the truss, you uh -huh. know, the weight on and typically they're only two by fours they might be two by sixes in a bigger house like uh -huh. we just did but typically they're two by fours. so kind of the same thing is when did they start doing this kind of thing so yeah uh as lumber got more expensive and they did uh you know at least out here in southern california same same now that i see in georgia and texas where i'm used to going uh everything is trusses so probably I, I'm going to say probably early 70s, they started to do trusses on a mass scale. Uh -huh. And so if I'm developing 80 houses and I got a basic floor plan or four, say I have four floor plans, I only need to come up with, uh, you know, four or five different sets of plans and somebody can make that trust. They could frame the wall in two or three days. Uh -huh. And we would roll up, a, we would roll up a whole roof on a truss uh, a house either in one or two days um, and be ready to start putting plywood on it. So uh, as far as speed and stuff like that, it was a whole lot easier to, to do. And you saved a ton of you know, money on lumber. Mm -hmm. So you've seen in your career that transition from not being a major part of this roof process to now being prevalent. Yeah, so I would say anything uh some of the houses you know in the 60s they probably started doing a little bit of a, uh -huh. a little bit of it yeah you know it might be a half and half thing depending on the house yeah. you know the design of it but everything before that let's talk again about houses older houses in the san fernando valley in la yeah. those were all made out of regular you know lumber two by six two by fours two yeah. by eights yeah uh mainly two by fours and two, you know two by sixes for the small track houses and stuff like that in the valley um but then when they came up with trusses you didn't have to crawl i mean you really it would take uh you know myself and one other guy one day to you know you could put up the roof a crane yeah a crane would take it off the truck and yeah. uh and i think we have pictures of that but the yeah. crane would take it off the truck and and put it on the roof and lay it up there and so you didn't have to you know, you weren't involved in the uh, heavy lifting of it. All you had to do is stand them up like little cards. Yeah. Yeah, so. it's kind of fun. It, it is like, you know, playing dominoes. You kind of 
pictures. Yes. If one of them goes, they all go. Yes, um, you gotta make sure that doesn't happen to you. Yeah, that's important. Um, so you're framing the um, openings now for the doors and the windows based on the dimensions that are called out in the plan. How soon do you begin planning what the actual window and exterior door selections will be? Do you wait once, do they need to be framed before you start to work toward the product and placing those orders? So I would say typically it's, you know, when we have it framed. Um, and I'm gonna jump back there for the question real quick about the trusses. So, yeah, you know, we talked about once we snap the lines, once we snap the lines the next day, we would have the trust company, they would come out oh. and measure. Uh -huh. They would measure uh, outside to outside. So they knew how, let's say on their plan, you know, it was 50 feet, Yeah. the house, you know, 50 right. feet across. Mm -hmm. They come out and measure, oh, oh my goodness, it's 50, you know, 50 foot two inches or 50 right. foot one inches. So then once they measured that, they go back and uh -huh. then they would start building that trusses. So uh -huh. it could take, it takes us two to three weeks to get trusses. Uh -huh. And in the meantime, we could be framing the walls and get doing all that work. Right. And then they would come, they would bring the trusses out on a truck. Uh-huh. The crane would come, pick up the trusses off the truck and set them up on the roof. Yeah. Well, that's um, um so yeah, picturing it that way makes complete sense so that they can get that final measurement based on the uh, lines in the foundation. They're good to go. Now you only yeah. have to, you know, make sure the walls match the foundation and then you're in good shape. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then the question about doors and windows. So yeah. tip, typically, I mean, it's been hard this last two years here, but typically windows would take four weeks to get. So once uh -huh. we had the walls framed up, we could uh, double check. Everybody liked the windows, yeah. spaces. Everybody's good with that. We could order windows and get them in four weeks. In the meantime, you could be doing plumbing, electrical, you know, all the things to the inside of your house. And then uh, you'd have the windows show up. Now, now it's taken four months. So this last house that we oh. we did, uh, I ordered uh, the windows. We tried to order the windows three months ago uh -huh. before we even started. So we were so afraid that it could take six months and we couldn't get this, you know, couldn't get the house built. So, uh, you know, typically, you know, four, four weeks, six weeks, you could get windows. Mm -hmm. now and then you, everybody has to check and see okay the type of window that you know the architect called out or the one that you want you know the homeowner's got to really be on top of windows that's one of the first things we say hey you got to know where those windows are and yeah we got to order them almost right now so there really can't be too many mistakes because uh if there is a mistake it's hard to get a window yeah uh, you know a replacement okay. window so, so how do you go about starting to guide the client? Um, you know the windows are going to be necessary and the plan, the exterior plan, um, there are going to be renderings of the exterior of the house. So they yeah. know already what they should look like. But there are, you know, in terms of the different kinds of windows, how do you go about educating the client and working toward making those choices? Um, we usually have them look at other houses oh, really? that we've done before. Uh -huh. Everybody's seen something. Yeah. Everybody knows something. So we try to, and probably like you do, we, we just say, hey, look, tell me what you don't like. Yeah. That really helps me. Tell me what you don't like. Uh -huh. And then what have you seen that you do like? And uh, we'll try to, you know, guide you to what stores, what companies might have that kind of, you know, material and so we would say hey well, we know what sizes they are mm -hmm. but what are you thinking you know show us something that you like and we'll start to go in that direction for those so what are my options for windows for the ex windows and exterior doors do you have a favorite product that you recommend um all vinyl all wood vinyl on the exterior with wood on the interior what are your thoughts on windows yeah, so there's so many different manufacturers, as we all know. Uh, I do like the vinyl on the outside and vinyl on the inside. Um, a lot of these people, you know, companies have wood on the inside, but that's to me, I guess that's 
a personal preference, then I think it's a maintenance <laughs> maintenance problem. Uh-huh. Cause it needs to be so I do like the old vinyl. There's different companies that have, you know, that have them. Um, but I do happen to like the uh, the vinyl windows the best. <laughs> I must be a full moon and it's still daylight. Um, <laughs> I wish I wish this was on video because the doggy is adorable. Uh, so then you know there's a little bit of a romance in the interior, you know, the wood trim being uh, on the interior, and I think that some people have a little bit of an aversion to the feeling of the and look of the plastic, but what do you find clients are leaning toward? I would say most of them go with the uh, vinyl. Uh -huh. you know, they're also making some, um, you know, uh, oh, he's going to get upset. The dog's getting upset. Um, <laughs> well, one of the things that we can do with the windows is just put wood trim around. Uh -huh. And you know, a lot of them are painted white, although, yeah. you know, it's popular right now to have the black. Uh -huh. So, but, you, you know, you can really dress them up with different kinds of wood. Uh -huh. So, uh, I, yeah, I just, I just like the vinyl, you know, almost in any kind of uh, house that we would be doing. Uh -huh. Now, obviously, those giant sliding glass doors and those kind of things, those are different. Yeah. But, uh Basically, for your your basic windows and stuff like that, the vinyl I think is the best bang for your buck. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and speaking of those giant sliding doors that we have a lot of in California, when did those start to become a thing? <laughs> you might know that one's like, better. I feel like there was a day I mean, I, that I they weren't a thing, and now they're a thing in every new house. Yeah. You need to have a wall yeah, of everything. windows. I just uh, went doors. Like two jobs. Yeah, I just went like the two jobs yesterday and. They said, oh, I got to have this giant hinge door that's going to go out into my backyard yeah. and my patio and my pool, you know. Yeah. Uh, when did it become a thing? I I'm going to say within the last 10 years, I guess. Yeah. Uh -huh. you, know? uh, you, you probably have people ask you the same thing. But, you know, I think people would, they ended up liking the flowing, uh, you know, the flowing room where the outside yeah. became the inside, you know, that kind of, you mm -hmm. know, idea. So. Yeah, and I think it, I'm sure that there are many parts of the country that have them, but because we have less bug issues and things in the summer, you know, I think it's a big thing here. But yeah, I think of a, I think over the, it started maybe about 10 years ago and now it's really prevalent. Um, so how far into the framing process are the ceiling heights visible? Um, the two homes that we recently completed were both single story homes that replaced two story homes that were lost in the fires. Both have large open spaces in the living room, family room, kitchen areas, and they feature 12 foot ceilings in the core of the house. Um, when I Google standard ceiling heights in the US, currently you get nine foot. In custom homes I've worked on in the past 10 years, the ceilings have been creeping from eight foot six to 10 foot in the first floor public spaces, and then maybe nine foot in the bedrooms and um, laundry and other spaces, and if there's a second floor. I had to adjust my sense of proportion with both of these properties with the 12 foot ceiling heights. Is that something that's becoming normal or you know what's, what's up with that? So I do think it's becoming normal. I would probably, you know, most uh, would go back to houses built in Southern California during this, you know, uh, 60s, 70s, 80s. You know, those were probably eight foot uh, for the most part. Those were eight foot and then you have the square footage, so what you're looking for is volume. So then you would have open beam ceilings. Uh, so as the lots, this is, and I have no idea, but my personal opinion is, as the lots got smaller, yeah, uh, you wanted your house to look bigger. And the only way to do that was to raise the ceilings and to get yourself some volume on the inside. So. You could have a, a 1500 square foot house, but if it had a nine foot ceiling and, you know, and maybe some um, volume inside, it would look so much bigger than just a regular, you know, 1500 square foot house with an eight foot, you know, ceiling. Mm -hmm. So I think yeah. it was mainly as the lots got smaller and, uh, you know, we used to have those McMansion things, right? They would yeah. buy these little lots. Yeah, and build up. And in order to make the house look big inside, you had to have taller and higher, you know, uh, walls inside. 
You know, something else is just occurring to me um, in the conversation about trusses and how the ceiling areas are, are made because a lot of um, mid-century, you know, 60s, uh, late 50s, 60s, 70s, there would have been vaulted ceilings and things like that. But with right. truss structures, you really can't plan a design in a vaulted ceiling. Yeah, the trusses, uh, sure you can. You can do a lot of them. The trusses do have vaulted ceilings. Uh -huh. And we call, we call those a scissor truss. And so uh, you, they just make it where the bottom is vaulted and, and comes up too. So yeah, you can do that with them. Mm -hmm. you, can, you can do almost anything with them. So uh yeah but for some almost. reason people just want these you know large boxes essentially they're yes uh, almost inhuman scale and that's what makes you know all <laughs> of a sudden the molding has to be 18 inches if it's a more if it's a family that then wants a traditional looking house and they've built this sort of fortress of walls that's where everything has to kind of be upscaled right and then also uh, led to the fact that uh you had to have now eight foot doors where before a six foot eight door was fine. Yeah. Yeah. But now if you have a ceiling that's 10 feet and you have a six, eight door, it looks like, you know, a, a little cubby hole. Right. Exactly. So it looks like it doesn't look great. Through the, yeah. Through the looking glass. Yeah. Um, so is there a price jump in the framing for depending on the wall height? And then of course, as you just said, it affects the door size and things like that. So everything kind of is going to bump up a notch financially. Everything bumps up by a percentage so if you used to have eight foot walls and then you know you got 10 foot it's at least a 25 percent because you know a, a two by you know a piece of wood that's 10 foot tall uh is more than obviously stating the obvious than an eight foot wall however that those are harder to make and harder to get so it's not only just a percentage of the lumber it's a little bit even more than that you know yeah. so everything's becomes everything's becomes harder because Let's say I'm the painter and uh -huh. the walls were eight oh, feet. Right. Uh, I could walk around in, uh, you know, pretty much a step stool, reach everything, right? Right. But now, if I'm going to put drywall up, let's say in the, in the house that we were talking about with a 12 foot wall now, where I could reach eight, now I got to move scaffold in and it's going to time to do that. Yeah. There's a whole lot, you know, not only for the painter, but for the drywall guy, you know. Mm -hmm. They got to include extra time. So it's not just the price per, you know, if you were to say per square foot, it's a lot harder to reach those areas. Yeah. Now the ceiling, now the ceiling's way up there. I got to bring a lot of scaffold and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Now, and do you think that the, uh, during the architectural phase where the design is happening, do you think that there are budget conversations happening that help people understand that they're paying for a lot of interior air? Which is lovely. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I don't know. I, I'm assuming there is, I think uh -huh. there should be. Uh -huh. I'm assuming most of the people are, you know, are telling them, Hey, you know, if you got a 10 foot wall or, Oh, you want to, you know, a 12 foot wall, someone's telling, Hey, you know, it's going to cost you more money to do this, you know, and whatever some percentage is to do it. Yeah. And then about, about the living costs in the house. I mean, does that actually, you know, bump up on a regular basis, your HVAC and, uh, things like that, your air conditioning and heating and, or is everything efficient enough now to, to be, for that to be not that big a deal? I don't know. I, I do know that they make you do a title 24, which is a calculation uh -huh. on the volume inside the house and the volume that you would have to have an air conditioner use. So that is part of the specs. Uh, but one of the other things that they do and they've upgraded is the insulation before we just have insulation in the oh, ceilings uh-huh just in the ceiling let's say right now it's a, it was an r30 uh-huh which was typical 20 years ago uh-huh now it's r38 in the ceiling and maybe another uh r15 tied to the bottom of the rafters uh-huh uh and on top of that they would make you put plywood that has foil on one side of it that you would put on the roof to deflect, you know, heat stuff. Uh -huh. So they are adding all these extra things to it. Uh -huh. uh, so the houses now are really efficient. Uh, you know, they're they're pretty efficient. You know, if you didn't keep, if you didn't open, if you cooled them off at night, yeah, and, and didn't open the door, they'd stay pretty cool. Yeah, 
yeah, that's good to know. So essentially it's it's the one term major investment and then you know the rest isn't as uh, dramatic. Uh, and yeah, right. So once the framing begins and um, I know as a designer that you'll start to be asking a lot of questions about the plumbing details and the specific fixtures we selected and all the, and that you'll need uh, as soon as the, the framing starts, all of the rough valves that are gonna be set into the walls and soon after that, you're gonna need ex you know, exact specs on the kitchen appliance selections. Um, what would you say are the things that you're gonna need from the homeowner and the designer first? Um, probably for the plumber to come in there, probably uh, kitchen appliances. Because uh -huh. any kitchen appliances, let's say you have a hood, you have to know how to, you know, you gotta make sure you're framing that to make sure the hood can get to the outside of the house. Uh, uh, any of the things to do with, you know, let's say refrigerators and mainly mainly ranges and ovens. Uh -huh. Those would be the big things where you're trying to figure out, okay, where does, where does all this, you know, where's the electrical and plumbing gonna go? We always say valves for the showers, drains for the showers, but valves because they're gonna be inside the wall. Uh -huh. And that's part of the plumbing. Um, you know, what kind of furnaces they're going to have. And usually that's decided beforehand. Uh, decorators probably don't get into furnaces, but uh, those are things that, that yeah. <laughs> but those are things that we, we want to know. Yeah. So that the plumber runs the right, you know, plumbing. Uh -huh. So that's typically in the plan previously. And that's probably what was bid on. Um, you know, our last customer here changed his mind. He had, you know, gas you know, appliances. And then he said, well, maybe I'll do electrical. Oh. And uh, we're like, okay, well, we can do that, but now I got to run both, you know, uh -huh. to that. Because if you haven't made up your mind, I got I got to, and if you haven't made up your mind, I got to make sure that we're covered in the future. So how soon do you ask someone to start making those decisions? And how, when is it too late? Uh, well, it's probably never too late because then it's called a remodel. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's called job continuous job yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. opportunities for us you, you would like when they have the floor plan yeah you know and they have a basic floor plan yeah. of a kitchen uh -huh. to say okay start figuring out you know what appliances you're using here because then you're going to go to a designer that's going to do a kitchen plan for you mm -hmm. and lay that out so I, I would say as soon as you have that first set of plans from your architect and you have agreed that this looks good to you, you know, you might, you might want to get a uh, picture of what your cabinets look like and start picking out what the appliances would be. So do you, are you with the client at that point enough? Uh, I mean, the, the architect is still working with the client. Does anyone tell them to start shopping? Cause in my experience, you know, there's some, I'm looking yeah. at the cement slab and no one has gone shopping. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I would say in the last ones that we've done and the one yeah. that I've been doing here, I've been working with the guy for a year. So I've been telling him for over a year uh -huh. to pick this stuff out. But they don't get it. But yeah. I don't think they understand. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, uh, they think people think the appliances are the end. They're like, you know, the jewelry, yes. the light fixtures. But yeah. if you don't know that they want, for example, a trash compactor, who knew those were coming back? Um, yeah. You know, the last two houses and then I'm working on a third, all of a sudden I had not done an, a single trash compactor in my 20 year career until this yes. year. And now- And I love, the, I love those trash, I love those trash compactors. Well, that's good because they're here. <laughs> uh, so, to con so to confirm the appliance list for the kitchen, the kitchen really needs to be fully designed and frequently yes. it's indicated on the architect's plans, um, but it's not necessarily really nuanced and, and figured out completely. So right. um, so at what point, and, we, and you won't need the cabinetry for a long time. You won't be ready to place those orders until the framing is complete and actually even the drywall's in. Um, so yeah, it's really so let important. Me yeah. yeah, let me help you with that one. So, uh -huh. well, the way the things are, yeah. uh, when uh, this house that we're doing right now, once the walls were up, yeah. frame, we started laying out on the floor the kitchen plan. Yeah. Because uh, we had gotten word that kitchens, 
you know, plan and everything may take us four months to get. Yeah. So if I would have waited till the drywall, I would be two or three months behind. So I see. So yeah. So right now, at, at least right now, it may change here, yeah. you know, in, in a year. But right now, boy, you want to if you can order something and get it figured ahead. out, yeah. you want to get it. Yeah, that's actually yeah. really good advice for people. I mean, hope and and by now, what you mean is this kind of COVID world that the the right. the delays yes. have been caused. So I mean, we we one can be hopeful that things will get back to a place of normalcy eventually. But I know that from the recession in two thousand and eight, it changed the industry completely in terms of what I do because people used to stock inventory of a variety of things. And right. based on that period of time, they stopped doing that and they never went back to that. So right. there are still limitations. So, uh, you know, uh, hopefully the kind of delays you're seeing um, will not be permanent and there'll be a new normal, but it won't be as hard as it is right now. Yeah. So a lot of these manufacturers went to something uh, they called just in time. Uh-huh. And that was manufacturing. So we would not have warehouses of things because that costs money to store things, right? right. So how do, you, how do you get better at manufacturing? You don't store things. You make them just in time. So uh -huh. when you get the order, you'll start making it, but you wouldn't make, uh, you know, things that you could put, that you'd have to put in a warehouse. Right. That you're paying for the warehouse. You're paying for something that may never get bought. So that was part of it too. You know, mm -hmm. how, to, how to, to become... You know, the companies wanted to become leaner and not have any excess inventory. Yeah, exactly. Exactly what happened. But um, I'm hoping that the result of what's happening now isn't going to cause the same kind of um, weirdness yeah. and challenges. Um, so how long? Do, so what is what's considered the end, like the end of the framing process? Is that when you are ready to put on the drywall or, you know, what con what constitutes that arc? So I would say probably the main part was when we're ready to start having other trades come in and work on the house. So it's sufficient. Oh, it's okay. sufficiently, uh, you know, we have the roof on, we have the plywood on, uh, fascia boards, uh, you know, plywood on the outside of the house. You know, all the doors and windows are openings are framed. Uh-huh. So that would be the end of uh, we would say maybe 90% of the framing, right? Uh, so that now we have the skeleton, yeah. the skeleton built. Yeah. Uh, they can start, other trades can start coming in and adding things and not get in the way of the frame. So the framers are basically done. They might pull off the job. Right. That's when the me men go away. <laughs> yes, me man. <laughs> I'll tell all my friends. Uh, yeah. So the other trades would come in and then they would probably come back uh -huh. again right? And, and do, you know, some finish up uh, carpentry, you know, blocking and stuff like that. Maybe if someone had to cut something or, uh, you know, but basically it's blocking and, and, and leveling things up for the drywall, you know, for we could start to insulate it. Uh-huh. And then um, how long has that process taken then from when the mean men arrive to when yeah. an amazingly skeletal house yeah, can depends still walk through the walls. Yeah, so we used to use a, you know, we used to say it was 500 square foot a week. Oh, interesting. Right, that was kind of a ballpark. Uh-huh. So if I had a 3,000 square foot house, we could say, oh, that's, you know, six, six weeks to do that. Uh-huh. So that would be a ballpark, you know, figure for a time. And we found that it's probably basically, you know, true. Uh-huh. You know, it's it's somewhere in there. If it's much longer than that, you got to wonder what everybody's doing. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, that's an interesting. Um, so that's a ballpark. You know, so that would be a three thousand square foot house would be six. You know, six weeks. Cool. And yeah. then, how long after the um, plumbing fixtures are chosen and the valves are in the walls is it before you're going to need things like the finishes and the trims and things like that down the line? So those things can probably take up to, you know, four, five months later. Uh-huh, right. Because you have to, uh, you know, put your dry, you know, get your insulation in, get your roof on, get, you know, your drywall together. And so you might be in the process of actually putting doors, you know, interior doors in and stuff like that. But you also have to have your, you know, your tile done, your cabinets and all that kind of stuff before you'd ever get to putting 
We right. call it said he fit, you know, said he finished. That'd be, mm -hmm. you know, within the last couple of months of the job. But if there's a tub in the house, when do you want the tub? Uh, if it ha if we have a tub, I need a uh, either a plan, uh -huh. you know, or if we could see the tub. Yeah. Because a lot of times the tubs, you know, they give you this big giant piece of paper and they say, this right. is a tub. Right. <laughs> but you really sometimes want to see that tub, even if it means put it in storage. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere. Uh-huh. If you could take it out and look at it and the plumber and everybody can look at it. Okay, this is how this thing's going to look. And this is how it really does measure mm -hmm. that you would like to have that. Yeah. yeah. And then you, then you put it back in because then you have to finish all the tile around it. You know, let's say it's a freestanding tub. You're going to do the tile and everything and then you're going to bring it back. Right. All right. So then the insulation um, is that a like that's a different crew of people. Are they experts yes. in that field or are they part of the HVAC team or are they guys you hire off the street? Yeah, so those guys, uh, <laughs> there's companies that strictly just do insulation. Uh huh. That's all they do. Yeah, it's another uh, SWAT team. What's that? It's like another SWAT team. Yes, yes. So yeah, they're going to come, come in, in and everything is pink and fluffy. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and so those specs are uh, with the original plans. Uh huh. You know, the sizes, uh, all that kind of stuff, where they all go, you know, that's all detailed out. And so you bid that out and hire those people to come in and, and uh, run all that uh, insulation for you. And then um, for the trades that are coming in, which will be the plumbing and electric and then the HVAC guys, and then maybe even smart home we'll talk about, um, who's first? What's the order of the trades coming in? So we kind of go back to what you said, we said earlier, hey, what's the first thing you can do? So you try to mobilize your guys. You're telling them about when you're going to start, you know, be done with framing. Uh -huh. uh, depending on, depending on your sub, we'd like to get the HVAC guy in there, you know, first. Oh, do, well, really? Yes. Because he has some big ducks yes, and does. duck work yeah. and some big furnaces that are going to go in the attic. Uh huh. So we don't want anybody getting in his way. Uh-huh. <laughs> We don't want him having to work. We want everything for those those ductworks to be nice, clean, and straight. Yeah. Uh, and not not working around somebody else. Yeah. So we usually try to get him in there first, followed uh -huh. by the plumber. Uh -huh. um, and typically, we might sometimes we get the plumber in there first. Yeah. They can work together. Yeah. Uh, we just got to make sure they're not in each other's way. Mm -hmm. And then um, then usually we would have the electrician. Um, come in and he would spot put all the lights let's say recessed lights in the house yeah and then we'd have the homeowner come back and look at everything all the plugs and switches and the lights and look at them and say yeah that's where I want them mm -hmm. or I need a plug here or I think I need a switch here or that feels uncomfortable if I open the door uh-huh you know I have a switch here or I don't I think I need more lights or less lights yeah um, which is really hard for people to know <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but we usually have them go through a couple times, uh-huh, you know, to look at it. And uh obviously running wire, you can run that wire around any of the uh hard things, you know, the uh HVAC system or the plumbing and so um and then usually after they set those let's say recessed lights, all uh -huh. the houses now, the new ones, have to have sprinklers. Uh -huh. They have a sprinkler system for fire. Right. So there's more plumbing, basically. So then we would have those guys come in. Yeah. And is uh, that an towards the end. team or are they just part That's of a completely team? separate company. Yeah. Uh -huh. That's all they do. Yeah. Yeah. So then yeah. they would come in and do, you know, what they have to do. So then, and then yeah, go ahead. And then at the end of that, typically at the end, we would have someone that's, let's say you're going to do cable TV or yeah. Wi-Fi. So those are just that. wires you could run anywhere. Yeah. You know, nobody's really in the way. Uh -huh. At that point, uh, we have a good idea. And so the homeowner will usually walk through with him <laughs> and figure out where that is, uh -huh. all those spots. So how long do, does that process take of getting all the guys that have to do something to the interior walls to have done it, and then you're ready to drywall? You know, on some of these uh, more complicated houses, kind of depends. You yeah. know, uh, these houses that we've been doing are three thousand to four thousand. Uh huh. I'd, I'd like to say, you know, 
I'd, I'd like to say four to eight weeks uh-huh. to be plenty. I do give the owner a schedule oh, oh, uh-huh. when I think everything is that helps everybody to know where they, you know, we're trying to do. So we try to keep pushing it because it can get real easy where people just, you know, they got another job to do or, you know, yeah. they can't devote full time to you. Yeah. Uh, so you just have to stay on it. So then we'd be ready to start going for the insulation. Insulation probably takes a week. While you're doing the insulation, you could be do fit, finishing up other things too mm-hmm. to get it ready for drywall. So you have to include your inspection. So let's say it's two or three days insulated, then you have to call your inspector. He's got to come out, you know, sign off on everything. That's a day. So, it, you know, basically it's a week. And do you start any of the exterior work while, you know, you, you've got your, you know, plywood and, and um, the house is sealed up. Um, the walls are sealed up on the exterior. Do you, is when do you start that work can that overlap with the interior yeah that's a good point so it does overlap yeah so typically uh this last house that we're doing right now we had everybody get in because this house is completely has complete siding that doesn't have stucco Uh uh-huh that's unusual if it did have stucco it would be that would be fine too but um what you want to do is we want to get everything that's going to go through a wall to the outside Uh uh-huh you know, let's say it's a light, you know, a uh, plug, yeah, a, anything that would go to the outside, a dryer vent, anything that would go through the wall. We want to get that the first couple of weeks. Uh-huh. And in that first couple of weeks, let's say the plumber and the uh, air conditioning guys working, we would have whoever's going to do the windows. It could be the carpenters hang, put the windows in. It could be a separate company. Sometimes uh-huh. the companies do it, put their own windows in. We'd have them put the windows and doors in. And then we would start wrapping it. If it was stucco, we're going to wrap the whole house with the black, um, you know, chicken wire paper. Uh-huh. Uh, we want to get all that to waterproof it. At the same time, we'd be doing the roof. So the roof paper, uh, we want all that up and the uh, weight on the top uh-huh. before we put any, ins- any insulation in. Ah, okay. Just in case it might rain, we don't want to get anything, everything soaking wet. So, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, we'd have the roof papered uh-huh. and the weight. We want the weight up on top of the roof. Uh huh. So, if the boards compress, when the guy puts the drywall on, we don't want the drywall popping and cracking. When you say the weight, do you mean that stage when all of the roofing material has been brought up to the house and it's sitting there? Yes. Ah. I wondered about that. <laughs> yes. I've always wondered about that. It's kind of a cool phase. You know, all of a sudden there are the conveyor belts and things that bring everything up to the roof and then it kind of sits there for a long time. Yeah. So what's what's happening is uh, they're going to put the paper up on the roof uh-huh. so that let's say you have some rain or whatever and they're going to, you know, in Southern California, so they have a lot of that clay tile and that heavy duty uh, concrete Roof tiles, they'll put that up there. And what you're trying to do is compress your house so that uh, the trusses are made so that they deflect just a little bit under the weight. Uh-huh. Uh, same with the studs. So you're, you're trying to make it so that if the house, you're going to put that weight on top. Yeah. Uh, so that if you hang, when you hang drywall and you start taping it. It doesn't, yeah. yeah, it doesn't all of a sudden start cracking everywhere. Yeah, uh-huh. You, you want to give it a couple of weeks with that yeah. weight on there uh-huh. before you do anything. Oh, that's really interesting. It makes complete sense. I mean, yeah, it, it, yeah. it's, it's, um. there are so many factors that are going to go into the success of the drywall anyway, that I'm sure, you know, any precaution you can yeah. take. Yeah, and it's, yeah. it's also the same with the stucco. So you'll have the paper on the outside to waterproof it. You'll have that roof up there with that weight. Same thing. You wouldn't want to put the stucco up and then put weight on it because it will start cracking the stucco. It's kind of yeah, so I, you're you're kind of waiting uh-huh. to that point. I mean, you yeah, could go ahead and lay your roof up, but the reason uh-huh. you probably don't see the roof laid up, you see yeah. it sitting up there, yeah, is because people got to crawl up on the roof to do work still. You know, either uh-huh. stucco, right. And so they're going to wait till everybody's off the roof before they start putting it together. Yeah. So you're, you're trying to expedite this settling of that, you know, all that stuff with the weight while it's still accessible and, and, uh, and then it all makes sense. Right. 
Uh, so has the framing for work comes to an end and we've had to, you've already hoped that we've chosen all the appliances. So you know everything that's going in there and all the plumbing fixtures. Um, what's next? What else, what's the next thing that you're gonna need the client to be making decisions on? Well, we've hoped we've made most of those by, by then. Let's say, you know, wood floors, tile for the showers, because we're gonna, uh -huh. once we start drywalling, we're hoping that he's picked out, you know, doors, base, case, you know, so we can order those things. Uh -huh. And then also uh, tile for the showers, you know, the bathrooms. Right. Uh, countertops, any of that kind of stuff. Right. Because right. some of those now, kind of the same thing. You don't know how long they might take you to get. Right. Yeah, that is a factor. Um, yeah. So essentially, it's you're, we're now finally getting to the pretty stuff. You know, the stuff yeah. is... 90% of what's going to actually show um, is, is what has to be um, worked on next. If it hasn't already started being worked on, it, it's got to be started and then it's really got to be completed shortly after it starts. So yeah. they know everything that's going in. Right. So what are your interactions like with the homeowner while the framing's going in? And we were just talking about how the drywall is really the clincher in terms of really seeing the house because you know, what people don't realize if they haven't walked on a premise like this in the process, you know, you can still walk through the walls until the insulation is yes. put in. So actually it's when the insulation goes in too is a big transition. So that what are your with, yeah. interactions like with the clients during this stage? So I think uh, just amazement, everybody's, you know, happy mm -hmm. to see their house getting put together. Mm -hmm. And I think once the drywall's up, they actually kind of start to feel, you know, you got a ceiling on you now. Uh, you can't see through the walls. You can really kind of tell, you know, the windows are cut out. You can see the views. Uh, they get a pretty good feel of what's happening. So they understand from their past experience, okay, now I have a house, okay. This is what a house looks like. And I might change the doors. Or I uh -huh. might have different color, uh -huh. but I understand, you know, what I can feel what it is at that point. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is a sort of amazing transition at that juncture when you all of a sudden, um, it's almost like now that you're not seeing through the, the skeletal structure, you can actually start to see the views through the windows and things because your eye is now seeing what the architect drew. Right. 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 Yeah. It's a fascinating process. So Don, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to speak with us again. Um, about this important and creative part of, of the building of our home. Uh, in the next series of episodes, we're going to be talking to our in, imaginary clients shopping for appliances and confirm the design needs for all the cabinetry in the home and things like that. So hopefully you'll come back and join us when we get to the point where we talk about uh, some of the other transitions that are coming along. Perfect. All right. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us on this episode of From Disaster to Dream Home, the podcast that takes you inside the home building and rebuilding process. Each week, we bring you time-tested practices and the latest trends through conversations with top professionals in the building industry. You can find other episodes of From Disaster to Dream Home at EWNPodcastNetwork.com, as well as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible, and most other major podcast streaming services. Need design help? You can contact us or find out more about our guests at fromdisastertodreamhome.com. Until next time, let us guide and inspire you as you create the home of your dreams. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? <laughs> I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. 
My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating one million dollars in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Calling all speakers. eWomen Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Our mission is to help one million fulfilled women each achieve $1 million in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.